Hey, good morning. As you can very well see by looking at the monitor, we're still in uh, Exodus, right? We, we've got a long ways to go uh, to get out of Exodus. But um, <clears throat> we as a nation, you know, this weekend we're, we're celebrating our independence and so forth. And many of you will be gathering with family and friends and you'll be doing your cookouts and you'll just be spending time with one another. And I, and I really do hope that that time is very enjoyable for you and you get that opportunity to love on, on your family and so forth. Uh, but I, I do find it uh, somewhat divinely uh, ironic, if you will, that uh, today uh, on, uh, on the weekend in which we celebrate our independence, we're also watching the Exodus take place in this scripture. And so, and that's where we're actually going to pick up today is uh, chapter 12, verse 40. Um, and we're going to finish chapter 12. You know, we kind of done a, a little relapse last week and kind of concentrated on a portion of Scripture that we had kind of uh, uh, hovered over a, a little bit. And so this week we are going to move forward. And we're going to read through uh, these uh, 11, 12 verses here. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, just turn with me if you have a laptop or an iPad, phone, whatever you're using. Um, if not, you can follow along on the monitors up here. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. Uh, we had, we're, we're literally on the, the uh, backside of the night of Passover. And so the Exodus has taken place at this point. And so we're going to read a scripture that we had covered a couple weeks ago uh, just to allow us a level of transition, okay? And this is what it reads. This is how it reads. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. So there's, there's going to be a, a, a directive to remember, to remember what God has done. The Lord, and now we're, we're rolling into some scripture where it gives instructions on the Passover meal. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, no, we're, we're, we're going to be reading some instructions. You know, we're, we're in the instructions manual sense of, of the Passover meal. Let's get through this, right? I mean, sometimes when we run upon some scripture, there's times that it can be labor intensive to get through it. And this isn't necessarily the scripture that we read and we think, oh man, I'm glad we're at Exodus chapter 12 and we're in verses 43 through 45 talking about the instructions about the Passover meal. Man, couldn't wait for this, right? But that's where we're at. And that's what we'll cover. That's what we'll glean from. God has something in everything for you and for me. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him. <clears throat> but a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. Must celebrate it. 
A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native born and to the foreigner residing among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Let, let's pray. Lord, we read this scripture. There's times, Lord, that we quickly move through the scripture. We don't necessarily see much application for ourselves in some of the text. And, and sometimes, Lord, the digging in the text is, is so labor-intensive that it's just easier to move forward. But, Father, what we want you to do this morning, through the life of your word, is to reward the efforts, Lord, to dig. To speak to us this morning as those desiring to hear that our lives would be changed. The foundation in which our faith is being built ever the more secure with the knowledge and revelation and discernment of your word. Lord, this is what I need. This is what we need as your children. And so we ask you, Father, to do that today in this portion of Scripture, through your Spirit to your sons and daughters. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at this. Let's look at verses 40 through 42. Uh, if you're new to the church and you know, you've been here a few weeks, hey, this is kind of the way we do things, right? And if you're not new to the church, this is kind of redundant in the sense that I, I mentioned this. We're a church who just works our way through the Scripture. We allow the Scripture to, to guide our lives, to strengthen our lives, to, to uh, uh, increase our faith. That's all we do here. We are, we are a Scripture-oriented church. And we work uh, our way through the Scripture uh, dealing with the issues of the scripture in the same uh, 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 proportion in which God addresses those issues in the scripture. We don't lean heavy this way. We don't lean heavy anywhere or that way. We lean heavy there in the word, period. And so let, let's just look at this. And we know right off the bat as we look at this scripture, it's been 430 years, basically 430 years since Joseph and ultimately Joseph's family arrives in Egypt, uh, remember the one thing you want uh, uh, to remember is that the influence of the Hebrew people are ushered into Jesus uh, uh, in, in the, the context of slavery. Remember, it was Joseph who was sold by his brothers as a slave who was ushered into Egypt and then sold again in Egypt as a slave, and it was God's influence upon one man in, in the condition or the, 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 the context of slavery that he begins to work something that is incredibly miraculous. 
I say that to say to you, humble beginnings doesn't limit what God's going to do in your life. Joseph planted in Egypt as a slave would ultimately rise up in the hands of God, a champion, right, for the cause of God's people. Remember that. Now, 430 years later, they are still slaves, right? And then God flexes himself, his strength and his power. He exercises uh, his sovereignty over the circumstances of men, and he brings his children out of Egypt. 430 years later. And then the scripture says this in verse 42. It says, because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil. Now, I want to I explain to you something here, what, what a vigil is, all right? A vigil is when one was keeping watch or carrying out surveillance watching purposefully with the sense of guarding. You say, well, Trent, where do you get that? Well, the word uh, vigil in, in the uh, Hebrew, shamor, means watching, but it is derived from the Hebrew word shamar, which means to keep or preserve, meaning it is truly, truly, in every sense of the word, is a watching with the intent to preserve or to guard something. And so this, when you see this and you read this scripture and it says, and the Lord kept vigil, literally it means that very thing. He was watching with the intent to preserve or to guard. Now listen, a, a couple years ago, we were having some issues here at the church with, um, listen, hey, the church is open. We invite everyone in to hear the gospel. But when the church services are over and the doors are locked, we don't really like people breaking into the church. You know, you know what I'm talking about? We're, we're here. You're welcome to come when the doors are unlocked. But we were having an issue with a, a couple of uh, uh, kids breaking into the church uh, in the community. It was happening and, and we, we found a great deal of evidence. And, and so I had to go visit the individual in his home. And I, and I had to inquire, hey, are, are you the one doing this? And initially... Uh, he resisted acknowledging it was him until overwhelming evidence was provided and he was found with the church van keys at his house and a couple other things that basically uh, uh, rendered a, a, a verdict of guilty and his father acknowledged that and this, that, and another. And, and, and so I tried to explain to the young man the, uh, why it would be uh, so dangerous for him to do that. I said, hey, I said, hey, we got some little ladies at the church that, that are packing. I said, brother... I said, you're going to run up into the church one day? These little ladies are going to run into the church? And I, I said, they're going to be going down that stairwell, and you're as tall as they are, and uh, you don't want to walk up on Miss Terry, nervous in the dark. She'll drop a cap in you, Jack. And I said, and she won't even know you're a kid. And I said, the last thing we want is to call the police and say there's a kid down in the basement who's been shot by a lady that tall she felt threatened she pulled out the the 44 mag i hope not her purse isn't that big but she and she and, and so i'm explaining this young, you don't want to do this he conceded he thought you know what i don't want to do that and so what we did as a church i went to the leadership i said listen i said this is where we're at we're, this is the time in the area in which we live we need to put up a security system and so we've got cameras all over the church now. And so I've got an app that allows me to access the cameras 
And I don't know if you've ever done this. How many people here got security systems at their house? Okay. Have you ever noticed when you first got that security system, you were always looking at those cameras? You know what I'm talking about? You go out to lunch, you go out to supper with your family, you're having a good time, and the whole time you're, 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 you're watching. I want to see who's in my yard. I want to see how that package the UPS guy is doing. I want to see how gently he lays it on my porch. You know what? And all of a sudden you become consumed with, with that type of thing. Well, I mean, we got that security system in, and for about the first four or five nights, Tim, I was on a vigil. I was watching with the intent of protecting and guarding. I mean, if a car come down the road, man, I was locked in. Are they coming back? I mean, normal traffic had me in a heightened sense, you know, state of, 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 of uh, anxiety. Like, what, what? Any kid who came into the parking lot to shoot basketball, to me, he was like a secret agent, covert, trying to break into the church. I mean, I mean, every, I mean, I was, I was like, but there was one thing that I noticed in our surveillance. Though we've got cameras, six cameras outside around this building, about 95% of the property is under surveillance. And the cameras are set up in such a, a manner, once you leave view of one camera, you walk into the view of another camera. The problem is there's a small area between the cameras where you can't see anything. And that drove me crazy. <laughs> right? My, my ability to stay vigilant in the surveillance of the property of the church was limited by what I could see, right? I want to encourage you guys this morning that God isn't limited. There are, not, there, there are no dark spots in God's vision where his care for you is blacked out. As a matter of fact, his care for you is seen so clear. He sees you so well. As a matter of fact, when we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, this is what that scripture says. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen or preserve those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Right? I mean, God is vigilant over you and he's vigilant over me. Right? So when Blair is giving uh, orders from the army uh, and, he, and he's being uh, sent away from his family, he can rest in the sense that Amy and the rest, and, and I mean, and that Hillary and the rest of his family is under the vigilant care of God, even when he isn't able to be there. As a father, a spiritual leader of your own, you should be glad where your vision is limited, God's vision is vast. There's a great deal of comfort in that. But God then says to the Hebrew people, understanding that I've kept a vigil over you, I've delivered you, I've protected you, he says to them, there is something you are to do. Now let's check this out. He says to them, on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil, to preserve, to protect, to remember what I have done for you. I want you to keep, I want you to be in that state of protection over the memory of the act of my faithfulness in your life. What are we preserving 
or guarding. When he says to keep vigil, what is the application for you and I? In this context, the memory of the deliverance and the Passover. In our context, the work of God in our lives. To protect it, to guard that, to remember that. I remember, if you, if you go into Ephesians chapter 2, pull that up if you will. Chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, this is what the scripture says. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, this is Paul writing, by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separated, right, or separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Do you remember ever being that person? Because I'm telling you, you were that person. I was that person. I was that person without hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul is saying to the believers there in Ephesus, remember, remember. Do you remember? Have you forgotten what God has done in your life? Have you forgotten how you got here? Have you forgotten the place that God had to reach to get you here? Now listen, I'm going to tell you a story, and it's redundant to some of you guys because you've heard it before. But I tell you because something changed this week that, that, that gives me an application, and I need to just share it with you. So bear with me if you've heard it before, and uh, take a nap, and you can join me in just a few minutes, all right? I'll say this, and you know where I'm going. When I was a young boy, I was, I was probably 9 or 10 years old. Me, uh, being 4 or 5 years younger than uh, the group that I was with, that being Ricky, his brother Wayne, and my brother Troy, decided they included me. Normally that wasn't something that was done because I was so much younger, but they included me in, in an expedition. And, and we were going down to this little creek, and we were going to have a little camp out down at the creek. And we're on this little bank. And it's dark. And it's, it, you know, we're doing the marshmallow thing, maybe a hot dog thing. We, we got that going on right there on the little bank. And we're, we're cooking the, the, uh, these, these items. And, and we're having this, this, this camp out experience. Now, I'm a young boy. I'm probably 9 or 10 years old. And man, to me, to be included with these guys, man, you know, I felt like it was the rite of passage, right? They were going to send me out into a field, and I was going to slay some wild animal. And we were, we were going to cook a deer. I don't know. I thought, man, I'm coming in. I'm, I'm growing up kind of guy. I was at that moment. And I remember my brother Troy Wayne and, and Ricky were, were on this bank, and I remember walking to the, around that little fire to the edge of the bank, and the bank broke off. It, it had eroded. The water had eroded in, the, in this creek going down through there. It had eroded the bank. And the, 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 the edge of the bank broke, gave way, and I fell into the water. Now listen. Now, I'm Michael Phelps. I swim like a fish for 10 or 15 seconds. Back then, couldn't swim at all, like a heavy rock. And I remember... Falling in that water, in that creek, and it's dark, and the creek is much deeper than I am tall. And I remember going to the bottom of that creek. 
And I remember hitting the bottom of that creek and I pushed myself up as hard as I could and I broke through the surface of the water yelling for help. I mean, just doing all I could. And I remember going back down. And I remember hitting the bottom of that creek and I pushed up as hard as I could and I grabbed hold of the bank, but I was giving way. And my brother, Troy, who was really concerned about me, knowing I was drowning, sticks his foot out there. It says, grab my foot. I should have grabbed it and just pulled him in. And I remember grabbing his foot and he was trying to pull me in and I slipped off his foot. Now, I'd had a sister, Dwayne, I had a sister who drowned when she was 16. When I say this, I'm not kidding you. The things that go through your mind when you're in that moment is, is just mind-boggling. I'm telling you, the th- I, lived, I remember thinking this, and I've shared I remember thinking, if I drown, my mom will kill me. I literally thought, I mean, I thought, I thought if I drown, I'm going to be in so much trouble. And I remember slipping off his foot and I go to the bottom of the creek and I push up again and I break through the waterbed and at that time, just panic stricken and I go back under and each time I had gone under and pushed up, I felt like I was losing strength. It was harder to break the surface and I remember going in that last time, going under. And in that moment, I felt an explosion in the water. You could feel it. Even though you're under the water, you could feel it. An explosion in the water. I could feel the impact, the shift of the water, the displacement of the water by the entry of this individual. And all of a sudden, I feel these arms reach around me. And it was Ricky's brother, Wayne. It wasn't my brother, he's still watching. And Wayne reaches around, he grabs a hold of me, and he lifts me up, and, and I break the surface of the water, no effort of my own. And he gets me out of the deep water, and he saves me. And then they have to protect me from my brother, who was going to beat me up for falling in the creek. This is all true. But I look back on that moment, and I think so many times, how God went into the deep, dark, Stinky, dirty water of my life. When I had gone under multiple times, I had exhausted myself in trying to save myself. Then he reached down, he grabbed me, and he breaks me through the surface. No effort of all. And before I know it, I'm on solid ground. Right? Well, this week, I've told this story to my children. They know this story. This week, we're at Ricky's mother's funeral. And I walk into the, the funeral home, me, Clark, and Carrie, and I look up there sitting up front towards the, where the casket was at, why not? And there's Wayne Lowell. I hadn't seen him in 27 years. He lives in another state. The man who rescued me. And I walked up to him, and he didn't see me coming. Jim, and I just put my hand, and I said, hey, young man. He turned around, he looked at me, and he started laughing. He got up, and he gave me a hug, and I felt those hands again. 
And the whole time as people begin to gather at the funeral home, who knew not Wayne and them, but knew me for some reason, whether it be my children or people who were connected to me, every person who came in, I said, that's the guy. That's the dude that went in the deep water. He's the one that, and I told my children, I said, you need to go up to Wayne and say to Wayne, thank you, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. (laughs) All that true. But how much more should we recall the great effort and divine effort of God to restore us and to redeem us? How much more should we be looking at our loved ones and saying of Jesus, there he is. (laughs) There he is. That's the man. That's the one who went into the deep water. He's the one. And believe me, I could say to my children, if it were not for him, you would not be here. I do not understand, forgive me, how we so quickly forget. How we so quickly forget what God has done. Moses, God speaks to them and he says, and, and, and this is what he says. He says, because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil. Why? Why are we to keep vigil? The scripture says to honor the Lord. Why do we remember? Why do we celebrate? Why do we point to? Why do we lead people to him? To honor his great effort to save us, to liberate us. And listen, God's gracious work in our lives should produce in us a gracious response towards him. You've got to get that. But understand this. My response to God and his effort in my life isn't some vain, silly, foolish effort for me to try to repay God, which would leave me in in an exhausted state. It's just simply an effort of gratitude just to say to God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if he does no other thing in my life, He's done enough for the rest of my days. The words of of, of gratitude and expressions of gratitude should be flowing from my very being. How it does it, I do not know. How we forget and we displace that effort of God and it becomes a stagnant, distant memory. He says, this is what I've done for you. Keep vigil over this. Remember this. Honor God. And he says, this is one of the ways I want you to honor me in keeping this Passover. And this is what he says to them. And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. Guess what? There were some regulations. It is God's effort. God determines. We're the ones subject to God and his directions and regulations. We don't call the shots. God establishes the perimeters. We have to find ourselves within those perimeters. 
He says, these are the regulations. He says, there's no foreigner may eat of it. What he was saying is basically this, to share in the Passover, one had to make themselves part of the children of Israel receiving the covenant of circumcision. He's, he's literally saying, no foreigner. But he doesn't, stay, doesn't say, you have to stay a foreigner. As a matter of fact, he actually expresses in this text means in which a foreigner can become part of the nation. But you can't stay a foreigner. Non partake of being a part of the family of God. You can't. There's this misnomer that I've wrestled with and addressed here at a church before. This misnomer that everyone is a child of God, which is completely, in, in, completely unbiblical. It is not true. Now, we are all a creation of God, but we're not all children of God. That's not what the scripture says. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, it says this, and you can read it. And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. No foreigner shall eat of it. The Lord said, to, and, and then the Lord said, uh, these are the regulations, no foreigner may eat it. And he says, any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him. This is the provision God has made to come into the covenant with him. You have to bear that mark. And let me say this to you guys. It was conditional then, and it is, if you think being part of the kingdom isn't conditional, then you're just not a biblical, you're not adhering to, 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 to biblical principles. It is conditional. And it's, it's still conditional, will always remain conditional. The gospel is inclusive in the sense that it is for everyone. But it is exclusive in the sense that it's only done through God's means. God's way. One way. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 expresses this. Peter, speaking to the Sanhedrin, to Jews, said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the condition. And if you go into Romans chapter 2, verses 28, the Apostle Paul is talking about you and I as believers in Jesus, as ones who have been circumcised in the heart. So you and I too need to be exposed to the circumcision of God. But it's not a physical circumcision, but it's a spiritual circumcision of the heart. And he says this, but a temporary resident or hired worker may not eat it. Now this is pretty tight. This has a stinging flavor to it. Because you're going to find out how we identify the temporary resident or the hired worker. And it isn't someone who has been ostracized in the sense 
that they were not allowed to come in through the provision of God through circumcision, but it is individuals who have chosen of their own conscience and free will not to assimilate, not to come under the covenant. They wanted to be a part of things, but never wanted to experience what was required to be in covenant. So let, let me define these two, biblically define these two. A temporary resident, some translations refer to this individual as a sojourner. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody use, that, use a translation where it's used? Sojourner? I'll tell you what a sojourner is. Sojourners are temporary visitors who are dependent in some way on the nation. The sojourner was less assimilated and maintained their own identity and was often attached to someone else's household. Let me tell you, let me tell you, and I'm being honest with you, let me tell you something that keeps you out of the kingdom of God. Wanting to maintain your own identity. God addresses this with Moses and Aaron because you know what God knew that they needed to know? There's people traveling with you that aren't with you. There's people in the flock that's not part of the flock. There's people in the flock, Moses and Aaron, who don't want the identity of the circumcision, don't want the identity of the covenant. They want to maintain their own identity. They want to maintain their own autonomy apart from me. They want to be independent from me. And for each and every one of us, regarding the gospel, we must lose our identity in Jesus. And we must find our identity in Jesus. We must bury who we are, and we must be raised in who we shall be in Jesus. There is no other manner. There is no other way. That's a soldier. You, you know what, a, you know what a, a hired servant or hired worker is? Listen to this. It refers to a rented or hired person. Wages were to be paid promptly to a hired worker. These were people who were present for the benefits of the flock. And you know what God said? They're not to partake. That's strong, isn't it? Because God knew the posture of their spirit and their heart that they had resisted. Though they're, they're lost amongst the multitude, God identifies them and says, these people exist, they're there. And at the same time, they're not. And what we know by reading the scripture, you keep reading the scripture. These people rise up. These people have influence. These people cause issues down the road. You begin to see these things. People who uh, uh, did not want to embrace the, the covenant, did not want to embrace uh, their identity in Jesus, ultimately they end up becoming a thorn in the flesh of the children of Israel and the effort of God to exercise them from the deep strongholds of Egypt's influence even after they had left. But God knew it the whole time. And God said they can't be a part of this. Because they're not a part of this. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. We've touched on this, right? We've touched on this. The worship of God in a nation would begin with the worship of God 
in the home. And I've said this to every dad here, right? I would say this to every mom here. The best way you and I can affect the country in which we live is by affecting the home in which we reside. We want a God who reigns in our nations. We need a God who reigns in our homes first. It must not be eaten. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside. And then he says this. Do not break any of the bones. Now you can read all the scripture you want to read. You can do studies in Judaism and this, that, and in Hebrew culture and whatnot. It is never clarified why that is put in there. It is never clarified. Now you may find some ridiculous statement where somebody makes where they got insight. No, God gave me insight, which is ridiculous. Nowhere is that clarified why the bones are not to be broken. But what we do know is that it is a prophetic, what? A prophetic shadow of what is to come. And there Jesus hung on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God. And what does the scripture say regarding Jesus? That not a bone was broken. Isaiah says that throughout the scripture, prophetic words are, are mentioned and spoken regarding. I believe, and you can leave it at that, Trent's belief, that God speaks this, makes this, uh, uh, this, this inclusion right here for no other reason than to identify Jesus on the cross as one who is bone solid. And then he says in verse 47, and we're getting close to closing, the whole community of Israel must celebrate this. Must, or saw in, in the Hebrew, means do or make. This wasn't optional, man. This wasn't one of those things, hey, I may do it, I may not do it. God says, if you're in the covenant, if you're my people, this will be remembered, this will be something you will participate in. You don't have a choice. And there's things as brothers and sisters in Jesus that for some reason we have a distorted view of certain things. And we say, well, I don't really need to be, oh, I don't really need to be loving people, do I? Not all the time. I don't really need to be a generous, kind neighbor, do I? I mean, oh, come on. Trent can do that. He, he's kind enough for both of us. I'm just going to take the day off. Let Trent be double kind. Let Tim be double kind at work. That way I can go in, I can be mean. We'll offset each other. Together we'll be two whole brothers in Jesus. He's the kind one. I'm not the kind one. Together we're there. Yeah. Right? There's things that we think we can just dismiss and we can just move on. And the scripture gives us a clear picture. Of, of what God is saying to us as sons and daughters that follow and pursue him. There's accountability, culpability, responsibility that we have as followers of Jesus that we can't dismiss. And the scripture says all the Israelites, all the Israelites must celebrate it. And then in closing, let's read through here. It says, a foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised, right? Here's the provision again. See it? 
the provision. You know what this really is? This is grace, man. You know what God's saying? God's opening the door. He said, the door's opened. Inclusive, inclusive, inclusive. But you must be circumcised, 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 which means what? Exclusive. You ain't coming in without this. And in the kingdom, followers of Jesus aren't coming in without the circumcision of the heart. You show me a circumcised believer in Jesus, and I'll show you someone who's not a believer in Jesus if they're not circumcised. And I don't care what they say. If they haven't had the scalpel of the Spirit of God circumcise their heart, I don't care how much scripture they quote. I don't care how many lessons they teach. I don't care how many pulpits they occupy. I don't care how many. They can have more degrees in theology than a thermometer. I do not care. It does not matter. The circumcision of the heart is absolutely, absolutely essential. And for every believer in this room right now who calls himself as a believer, if that's not been your experience, I hate to be the one to, to bust your bubble. But it needs to be your experience. Not just a, an intellectual assumption or an intellectual understanding. It says, then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. He reiterates this. Why? Because it's important. And I reiterate to you, no individual with an uncircumcised heart will see the face of God. I'm telling you. That's what the scripture says. Now here's Stout, 49. The same law applies both to the native born and to the foreigner residing among you. There was no exceptions regarding this. It applied to everyone, right? This Passover meal, it applied to everyone. And when you took that Passover meal, you know what you were saying? I'm down with the regulations. I'm on board. I agree, I've lost myself in the nation. I've lost myself as an Israelite. Though I'm a foreigner, I become that. So when they would take the Passover meal, that's what they were declaring. I'm in. And the scripture says all the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. So what, what, did, what did obedience to what God was saying do for these people, right? The protection of their firstborn, right? That's what obedience did for them. Provision, remember, they, they, they plunder or strip the Egyptians of the wealth. That's what obedience did because God told them to do it. And ultimately, freedom. After 430 years, for many of these people, ranging from a, a newborn to the, the elder most person in Israel, if they'd have been 125, they had known nothing but slavery. And God, in obedience to God, Tim, brought them out of all that. And after 430 years, God gets them out of Egypt because of their obedience. And yet, the rest of the Old Testament, 
because of disobedience, we find God trying to get Egypt out of them. What a crazy thought. What a crazy thought to come out and bring all that with you. To try to carry that with you. I found in 39 different verses, and you may find more. I found in 39 verses, including two in the New Testament, where the phrase out of Egypt was mentioned more than 41 times. 41 times. That's a whole lot of referencing what God has done, isn't it? A whole lot of referencing. I wonder why I think God really wanted them to remember And I think God really wants you guys to remember. And if you don't have a memory to beckon back to, then maybe today you need to allow God to create in your life that memory. This moment. The Passover, well... Passover meal to remember what God had done. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 31 the Apostle Paul says there's something as believers in Jesus that you and I need to remember. This is what he says. I'm going to read this. And you need to listen really carefully carefully to this because there's some regulations involved in this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know what? Remember. 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 In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember. If you have to dig deep into your memory, dig that memory up. Remember, it wasn't cheap to go into the cold, dark water for you, Trent. But I went anyway. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is what you're saying. Just like the Israelites when they consumed Passover, when we take communion, you know what we're saying? We're all in. We're in. We accept this. We're in. Then the Apostle Paul says something else to the young church. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, meaning... You've not been circumcised like the Jews who were taking Passover. If you took Passover and you hadn't been circumcised, you brought judgment on yourself. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying right here? If you haven't been circumcised in the heart in an unworthy manner, you take communion, you're bringing judgment on yourself. That's what he's saying. He says, the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves. You know what examine means in the Greek? It means to investigate. You know, every time we take communion, you know what you and I need to be doing? I'm not saying you have to come up here and pray. But I'm telling you what we need to be doing. I'll tell you what I need to be doing. I need to be doing some, some investigating. 
you know, I, I need to be a little spiritual magnum P.I. You know what I'm talking about? I need, you know, a personal investigation. Right? That's what I need to be. I need to be doing some investigating on my own. Not your heart. I ain't got time. You know what I'm talking about? I can't dig deep enough. I don't know what's going on in you. I need, but I do know mine. And God is saying, you need to discern. You need to investigate, examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink it from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Did you know this? Did you know? That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep or died. That's what the scripture says. But if we, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. We would judge ourselves. And so what we're going to do, the elements are up here. I'm going to ask Danny and Miss Terry, would you come? Another divine irony, right? We're on this portion of the scripture, and it's the first Sunday which we take communion, right? Yeah. I'm not smart enough to figure all those dates out, man. It's just divine irony. So what I'm going to do to you guys, I'm going to extend this, because it's not mine, it's, it's the Lord's. We're going to extend this, and I'm going to reach down here real quick. You're like, where's the bread? Okay, we're... We did the, the double cup this week, okay? Your bread is under the second cup, right? Okay? So what I'm going to do is we're going to extend to each and every person here, to each and every person here, the elements that represent the blood and the body of Jesus. And so we're going to start like we normally do. We're going to start from the beginning, or from the front rows on the sides. When the, we make it to the back rows on the sides, you know, they're going to come down the center, go back to their seat. Once the sides are up and through, then the front row to the back will circle back around and down. If you're new to the church uh, and, and you're trying to figure it out, listen, it's, it's not difficult. It's pretty simple. You'll see. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you to stand with me just for a moment. 